Okay, praise God. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5, 1 through 31. And if you're joining us here in person, you're going to see it on the screen behind me. If you're joining us online, you're going to see it on your screen at home. But Daniel 1, or I'm sorry, Daniel 5, 1 through 31. And here at The Promise, we don't shy away from reading entire passages, so we're going to read the entire chapter today. So if you're not used to that, then just uh, sit tight. <laughs> you can even imagine this scene. That can help. But Daniel 5, 1 through 31. This is God's word. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of that thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the wall, the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself. I don't want your gifts. And give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Okay, verse 18. 
O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty, and because of the greatness that he gave them, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. He did whatever he wanted. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was like the wild donkeys. He was fed like grass, like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Verse 22. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean, was killed and Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, and Lord God, you are holy, and everything you speak is true, and Lord God, we desperately need to hear your word. So Lord God, please open our ears, open our hearts so that we may hear your word, and Lord God, speak to us so that we may be changed, so that we may follow you and follow your will. So thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your presence that is here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, well, praise God. Well, last week we began looking at Daniel chapter 5, which describes the last night Babylon before it fell. So this is the very last night of this entire great empire. This empire came to an end when the Persians and the Medes invaded the city and then killed the king, Belshazzar. And historians know the date when this happened. So it's amazing. History can teach us a lot and help us understand the Bible. But historians know exactly when this final night was, October 12th, 539 BC. That's when Babylon fell. So the context of Daniel chapter 5 is very well known to historians. It is a historical event. And in the fall of Babylon, the Bible tells us that the moral character of the king played a central role. So this is the theme of this entire chapter, I believe. But God is really highlighting the moral character of King Belshazzar. Now, yes, God is sovereign over all the nations. He controls the nations. The book of Daniel makes that clear. God controls when nations rise, when nations fall. But the rise and fall of nations are not arbitrary. They're not random. It's not like flipping a switch. God isn't saying, okay, you're going to rise, you're going to fall. 
No, God is sovereignly in control of the nations, but he uses the character of the king to raise up a nation. And he will bring judgment on the character of kings to bring down a nation. So this is what happened with Babylon. But God raised up Babylon through the noble character of Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar was actually a great king. He had great character and God raised up this empire through him. But then God brought down Babylon through the corrupt character of Belshazzar. So the rise and fall of Babylon was dependent on the character of the kings. And so this is very clear in Daniel chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. We see why Babylon fell. But on the last night when Babylon fell, King Belshazzar was throwing this crazy party. It was a drunken orgy. And then suddenly, while this party was happening, this floating hand appeared. Some believe it was a vision. Maybe it was an actual hand. But God's hand appeared inside the palace in the midst of this party. And the hand began to write on the wall. And it wrote three words. And we're going to look at what these words are in a little bit. But these three words were judgment from God. It was declaring God's judgment. And these words basically said, Belshazzar, your days are numbered. In other words, it's coming to an end. Your kingdom will be ripped away from you. And why? What's the reason? Why was this whole party, this empire coming to an end? Because your character has been weighed in the balance and is found lacking. You're lightweight. Your character doesn't measure up. So in other words, character matters. Your character matters. The lack of character in King Belshazzar and many others in Babylon, that's the reason why Babylon fell. Character matters. And when I say character, I mean the sum total of all the thoughts, words, and behaviors coming out of a person's nature. Everything you think, say, and do coming from your nature, that is your character. That's one definition. Here's another definition. It is the strength of a person's moral fiber. Okay, when you're put into a certain situation, how do you react to that? When you're under pressure, how do you respond? Well, that's dependent on your character. I like this definition. Character is who you are at your very core. It's who you are when no one is looking. You know, it's kind of sad, but the pastor who came up with that definition, he actually ended up having very bad character, and all these scandals came out, and now he's not even in ministry. Very sad. But, but that pastor came up with that definition, but it's still true. It's who you are when no one is looking. That is your character. It's who you are when you're under pressure. So character matters. Okay, God deeply cares about your character because character is like the foundation of a house. And for some people, their foundation or character is very strong. Others, their foundation or character is very weak. And like a house's foundation, you can't really know a person's character by just looking at them. So today you came to church, maybe you know the people around you, maybe some of the people you don't know. But just looking at them, you're not going to know their character. Unless God supernaturally reveals it to you, that can be fun sometimes. Sometimes, you know, people get a sense of a person's character by supernatural revelation. But that's not usually the case, right? That's not usually how you come to know someone's character. You can't see it by just meeting someone briefly. You know, on the way to church today, you probably drove past a house, and as you drove past that house, you only saw the outside of the house, right? On the way to church. And you didn't see its foundation. Why? Because the foundation is hidden. Well, character is usually the same. 
like the foundation of a house, you don't see it right away. The character, the true character of a person is hidden. But like the foundation of a house is what everything in your life is built upon. Okay, everything in your life is built on top of your character, including your work and your careers. So what does that mean? It's foundational. Character matters. And this is why God, when he looks at us, does he see our physical body? Sure. Does he see the things we're doing? Yes. But more than any of that, he is always looking straight through all of it to our character. God is always looking at our character, and God will judge our character. And this is exactly what happened. God saw and judged Belshazzar, and God saw and judged Babylon. So character matters. And last week, we started looking at some different aspects, different truths about character from Daniel chapter 5. So we looked at the illusion of character and then the revealing of character. And so let me just do a quick review because this is the second part to last week's message. But first, the illusion of character. We looked at this last week. But last week, we saw Daniel chapter 5, how immediately, right when you open Daniel chapter 5, you fast forward 25 years into the future from Daniel chapter 4. So we're not warned, right? We're not told this, but suddenly you jump 25 years into the future, and then without warning, we're introduced to Belshazzar. So who is he? Well, he was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He was the co-ruler of Babylon with his father, Nabonidus. And Nabonidus, for whatever reason, he lived far away from Babylon, hundreds of miles away. So his son, Belshazzar, was in Babylon ruling as a co-ruler. And last week, we saw what is so interesting about Belshazzar in this chapter, on this night, is this. He was throwing this crazy party, this huge party with drinking, sex, immorality, blasphemy. And while this party was happening, right outside the city walls was the enemy. They were waiting to attack. So here's the question. Why would Belshazzar be throwing a party while the enemy was waiting for them outside the city? I mean, was he crazy? Was he unaware? Well, historians say no. Belshazzar probably knew the enemy was outside because they had a long history, a lead up to all these battles. He knew they were there, but he didn't care. He didn't care. And the reason is because he was confident. He was being careless because he believed nobody can break into Babylon. Babylon is impregnable. The walls are too thick. The towers are too tall. They had food that would last them for years. They had all the water they would ever need. The Euphrates River ran right through the middle of the city. And like some sort of hero, Belshazzar believed that he did all of this for everyone and he was throwing this party for himself and for his wives and concubines and all his lords. So here he is, the hero of the party. And what is that? That's the illusion of character. That is an illusion of character. And like Belshazzar sitting confidently inside the walls of Babylon, I believe many, many people today, they are living lives confidently, thinking that their character is pretty strong. You know, I said this last week, but character is one of those things that people think they have more of than they actually do. Let me ask you guys, but when's the last time you heard somebody confess, I don't have a lot of character? You know what? Let me just share something honest with you. I don't have a lot of character. When's the last time you heard somebody confess that? Never. Right? People might admit to some mistakes here and there, you know, certain areas you need to grow in. 
But you'll never hear somebody say, you know what, I'm a person without character. I don't have a lot of character. And why is that? Well, it's because people tend to think they have more character than they actually do. Character is also one of those things people think their character is stronger than it actually is. Most people believe it's stronger than it actually is. And like Belshazzar, again, sitting inside the city walls of Babylon, they're thinking, you know what, I'm okay. I'm a decent person. In the eyes of some, I'm even a hero. You know, what could possibly happen to me? What could possibly happen to my life? And so that's how people live their lives. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people over the years, being a pastor. Majority of people, that's how they live. That's a false sense of security. Again, it's the illusion of character. And this world encourages the illusion of character, especially at work. Especially at work. When you go to work tomorrow morning, that illusion is everywhere. The illusion of character, this false self. So for example, when you're applying for a job, you need to show them what? The potential company that's going to hire you, the employer. What do you need to show them? Your credentials, right? Your degrees. Nothing wrong with these things. You should have credentials. You should have degrees. But credentials and degrees tell you very little about the character of a person. Just because somebody has two PhDs and they have all these credentials, it doesn't mean anything about their character. But you know what they do? They give you the illusion of character. Oh, wow. You're very respectable, right? You have, you have all this credential, all these degrees. When you get hired for a job, you're, get, you're given a title and a position. Again, nothing wrong with these things to have a title and position. But anyone can have a title and a position. I remember my wife used to tell me that. She used to work in education, and she's like, Roy, let me tell you, there are people there who don't deserve to be there. And they've been there for 30 years. They don't do any work. They just collect a paycheck. So having a title and a position tells you nothing about that person's character, but it gives you the illusion of character. Oh, I'm so-and-so, right? I have my office in this corner. And so this can go on and on. The same is true for a person's salary. How much a person makes tells you zero about a person's character, and yet it gives you the illusion of character. Why is it that billionaires can appear on TV and then then lecture us, tell us things about all kinds of things, right? I mean, mean, who made you the expert? Well, you're a billionaire. Okay, we'll listen. It gives them the illusion of having character. A person's influence on social media. It goes on and on. So what am I saying? Our society and our culture is a breeding ground for the illusion of character, for the false self. And this is true especially at work. And people build their lives around this illusion. They trust in this illusion. And like Belshazzar, trusting in the walls of Babylon is false. It's a false security. And eventually God will reveal what is really there. He's going to reveal who we really are. And so this was our second point last week, but the revealing of character. Jesus said in Luke 8, 17, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. In other words, made obvious to everybody. Nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. It's a promise from God to everybody. Okay, you think there are things in your life, we all have a public life, a personal life, and a secret life. We all have that. And the most foundational part of our lives is the secret life, and we think that these things nobody will know, and God promises, no, the day is coming when all of it will come out. All of it. All of it will be revealed. And so this was true for Belshazzar. In the middle of his drunken orgy, as he's uttering these blasphemies, suddenly God's hand appeared in the middle of that party and began writing on the wall. And in that moment, everybody was dead silent. 
And it says in verse 6 that the color of the king's face changed. The bones of his hips became loose. One interpretation is he, he wet his pants. And because he wet his pants, his knees were close together and they started knocking together. And so Belshazzar suddenly changed. And what happened? His whole body began to shake. Why? God appeared. Suddenly God appeared. And in that moment, when God appeared, his character got revealed. Exactly what Jesus said. There's nothing secret, nothing hidden that will come to light. God will reveal everything. And so this is what happens all the time when God appears in the Bible. But everything and everyone begins to shake, and in the shaking, the truth gets revealed. The true character is revealed. You know, going back to that house analogy, when you drive past a house, you only see the outside, right? But if you were to get out of your car and go into the house, you see what? You'll see the inside of the house. But usually, you're not gonna be able to see the foundation. Even if you walk around inside the house, even if you live there for 30 years, you're never gonna see the foundation. Some of you guys, you guys own a house, you've lived there many years. How many times have you seen the foundation of that house? Probably zero, right? Even though it's your own house, you've never seen the foundation probably. Well, why is that? Well, it's because it's hidden, it's underground. And usually the only way you're gonna see the foundation of your house is if there's a violent shaking, an earthquake. You know, many years ago, I remember the Northridge earthquake happened back in 1994. It was a very bad earthquake, one of the worst in California's history. And I remember right after the earthquake happened, I moved to LA. So Northridge is a small city north of LA. So I remember when I moved to LA, just driving around, seeing all the rubble, seeing all the buildings that got, that got toppled. And it was shocking because I saw huge buildings knocked over. And as buildings knocked over and got flipped upside down, you saw the foundation. It's like, oh, there's the foundation. And so the point is, is that that's the only way you're going to see foundations. It's through violent shakings. And so this is what happens when God reveals himself. He shakes us. Is he's going to reveal the secret things. Maybe he'll shake us through his word. Maybe a word like Daniel 5. Maybe he'll shake us through unmistakable circumstances, certain things happening. You know God made it happen. Maybe through trials and tragedies. Whatever it is, God will reveal himself by shaking our lives. And when he does it, our true character, the foundation gets revealed, and that's not a bad thing. Okay, that's not a bad thing. People often say character is not made during hard times. It simply gets revealed, and it's true. Okay, when you're facing a trial, going through hard things in life, that's not when your character is formed or made. It's when it gets revealed. It gets revealed through trials. And God does that so the truth will come out and so that we can get changed. So it's not a bad thing. See, human beings were very complicated. A moment ago, I mentioned how we have different layers in our lives, right? Public life, personal life, secret life. And we don't even know what's all there. Okay, we usually know what's in the public and personal, but even the, the secret life, even though it's our life, we don't even know what's fully there. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And yet, nothing will change in our lives unless the, unless the truth of what is there gets revealed. Okay, you got to know the truth. You know, if your arm got hurt and you went to the doctors, what will they do before they fix it? Take an x-ray. Okay, we know that. Why? Because the truth has to get revealed. Okay, well, why is your arm hurting? Okay, why, why is there a fracture? Oh, there's a fracture. 
So they need to see the truth. Well, this is what God is doing. He shakes us, even violently sometimes, to reveal the truth. What is really there? What is your character? Why? So that we can change. And when God revealed who Belshazzar was, the truth came out. Belshazzar was not a hero. He was not a champion of the people. He was not using all his resources, his authority to help and serve the people. He was not a man of character, but rather he was a coward. He was a blasphemer and a fraud, and all of it got revealed. And so now we finally come to the last two points, the weighing of character and the outcome of character. So this is what God is always doing in our lives. He's looking right at our character. He looks right through the illusion. He wants to reveal the truth of our character, and then he'll weigh it. He'll weigh it. So this is our next point, the weighing of character. So after God's hand appeared and wrote on the wall, Belshazzar was shaken to the core. And in that moment, the only thought he had was, okay, what's going on? I'm just having this party. This floating hand appeared, began to write these words. I can read the words, but they don't make any sense, right? So in that moment, he only had one thought. What does it mean? I need to understand. What is that writing? What does it mean? It doesn't look good. So then he called out for his wise men, magicians, astrologers. And so here they are. Okay, this is the same group. We've seen them before. They all walk in. They all look at it, and they go, we don't know, king. So we've seen this before. Okay, the same thing. Same group, same result. They had no answer. They were useless. It makes you really wonder why they kept their jobs, right? How did they keep their jobs? But then, finally, in verse 10, during this scene, the queen mother walks in. And Bible scholars believe that this queen was the mother of Belshazzar. She was not at the party, but then she heard what happened at the party, and so she came in. And in the moment, she basically told the king, her son, call Daniel. Okay, call Daniel. I recognize this is strange. You're in trouble. You're scared. Call Daniel. And the reason is because this queen mother has seen Daniel's incredible wisdom and insight over the years, She was most likely Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. So she was there when all these things happened to Nebuchadnezzar, her father. She saw the wisdom of Daniel interpreting dreams, giving answers, giving insight, giving God's words. She knew Daniel. So she said to her son, call Daniel. So Belshazzar called Daniel. And then Daniel came in. And he wasted no time. He had no courtesies, no nice words to the king. When the king offered him the third highest position and all these gifts, if you can interpret the writing, Daniel basically said, keep your gifts. I don't want them. And by the way, I mean, what does it matter? The kingdom's coming to an end in hours. He already knew that. But he said, I'll tell you the interpretation. God sent me to help you to understand. And this is what Daniel said in verses 24 through 29. Then from God's presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that is inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. And then Daniel said, this is the interpretation of the writing. So we should all pay attention. Okay, what are these words? Daniel explained, Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and been found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave a command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, 
and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler, and who cared? It didn't mean anything. This kingdom was going to come to an end in a matter of hours. But that was the interpretation. So those three words, mene, mene, God repeated that first word twice to really emphasize this is going to happen. Tekel and then parson. So the literal translation is numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. Okay, that's what those words meant. So in other words, Belshazzar, your days are numbered. In other words, you don't have a long time to live. You're going to die. You're going to die very soon. Second, your character has been weighed in the balance and found lacking. You're lightweight, Belshazzar. You don't measure up. And then third, your kingdom will be divided up. In other words, it's going to be ripped away from you. Not divided up like given to different people, but it's going to be ripped away, divided away from you. And so Bible scholars have been amazed at how much God was able to say with just those three words. Okay, God can say a lot with just three words. But for example, those three words describe perfectly what would happen to Belshazzar that very night. Exactly what God said in those three words happened. And why it was going to happen. Not just only what would happen, but why. Another thing scholars are amazed by, many Tekel Parson, they also sound like the words for ancient money in decreasing value. They're not the actual words for money, but they sound almost exactly like money, ancient money in decreasing value. So for example, $100, $1, one penny. Okay, that's what many Tekel Parson sounds like to the original hearers. $100, $1, penny. It's almost like God was using that to describe Belshazzar's character. Your, dis- your character is just decreasing, dropping in value. And finally, the last word, parson, if you take out all the vowels and only have the consonants, it looks exactly like the word Persian. And that's amazing. Because who was waiting outside the walls ready to attack that night? The Persians. So God, I mean, it's just amazing. In three words, he just said so much, exactly what would happen that night. But so what? Why is this important to us? It was important because the reason why God brought judgment upon Belshazzar. Okay, please pay attention. The reason why his days were numbered, the reason why his kingdom was ripped away from him was because God had weighed his character in the balance and it was too light. It was lacking. And so that's the climax. Okay, I believe that's the key of God's message. Okay, why did all these things happen to Belshazzar? Your character didn't measure up. And God is also weighing our character in the same way. He is constantly looking straight through all the fluff, all the busyness in our lives, and he looks at right at our character. Okay, that's what he's always seeing. Can you imagine seeing the way God sees? You just look out across the room and all you see are the true character of everybody. That's exactly what you see. Well, that's God. When God looks out upon the world, upon this church, he sees the exact character, the true character of everybody. And so God is always seeing our character and he's weighing our character. And according to Daniel, here is the weight of character. So then what makes up your character? What what makes your character not light but heavy? What is the weight of character? Well, here's what will make your life like a five-gallon bucket. I remember we used to have these big buckets uh, in college. We would just store things in it, those big round buckets. But this is what will make your life like a five-gallon bucket filled with concrete instead of a bucket with just a few leaves in there, okay, rolling around in the wind, being shaken in the wind. Okay, here's what will make your character heavy, solid, strong, 
Daniel told us, it is how much of God is in your life. Simply that. It is how much of God is in your life. In other words, how much of God's word and God's presence is in your life. And because God is in your life, how much do you walk in his ways? How much of God in your life has affected you so that now your words, your behaviors, your thoughts, your interaction with people has been affected? Are you walking in his ways? Okay, that is your character. That is the weight of character, according to Daniel. See, before the interpretation of the writing on the wall, Daniel gave Belshazzar some other things. He gave him a sermon. And in his sermon, Daniel told Belshazzar, Belshazzar, do you know what God did for your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar? Do you know what he did? Do you know? And I believe Belshazzar was there. Maybe he was like a young boy, but he knew. You know how Nebuchadnezzar was very proud, but God humbled him. Do you know, Belshazzar, how your grandfather lost his mind and then he lived like an animal in the fields for seven years? He lived like an animal for seven years. You know that. And you know after seven years how he lifted his eyes to heaven and then acknowledged the one true God of Israel. And in that moment, everything came back. He went back to the throne. God raised him even up to a greater level than before. And you know how your grandfather praised the living God. So you know all of that, Belshazzar, You've heard the testimonies about God, and yet you did not acknowledge God. You didn't humble yourself before this God. You didn't humble yourself like your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. Instead, you ignored God. You defied God. You took God's things, and you used them to praise other gods that are not gods, the gods of wood, gold, silver, all these Babylonian gods. You praise other gods that aren't real gods using the things of God. And because you worship these other gods, you have blasphemed God, and you've committed all kinds of immorality. So that was basically the sermon. Daniel just straight told them all these truths. So that is the reason Belshazzar's character was lacking. That's why he was a lightweight. Even though he saw God's work and God's blessings, he didn't acknowledge God or praise God. How many people are like that today? How many people hear the gospel all the time from their friends, on you know, podcasts, on the internet. I mean, anywhere you turn, you'll see a Bible. You'll hear the gospel. They see clearly God's word, the testimony of God's works, and then they praise other gods. Yeah, how many Christians take blessings from God, like the very job they have is a blessing from God. You have your job because God gave it to you, and then Christians take that job, and then they use it to worship other gods. Yeah, how many Christians are like that? And so he took those blessings from God, and then he used them to praise other gods that are not gods. Things like gold, silver, wood. Today, these gods would be like money, career, talent, okay, yourself. And so how many Christians are exactly like that? And so they are worshiping false gods. And false god is anything that has become ultimate in your life. Okay, we've talked about this before. Okay, we already know this. But a false god is not like the little statues in ancient times, but it's just anything in your life that you hope in and trust in more than God. Anything that good is good, that has become ultimate. And so that is a false god. And this is what Daniel said to Belshazzar. Because you did not acknowledge the true God and worship false gods, now you are immoral. Your character is lacking. All this sin is flowing out of your life. In other words, idolatry has led to immorality. And what I just said describes billions of people. I almost said millions, but it's actually billions. 
It describes billions of people today. People lack character. But the reason why is because they have not acknowledged the true God, but they are now instead trusting in and looking at other gods that are not gods. And because of that, there is now immorality. They lack character. Idolatry has led to immorality. And so now, like looking at our work, because we've been talking about work throughout this series, but how does this look like in our work? Well, well, here's one way idolatry leads to immorality in the workplace. Gluttony and lust. And why am I mentioning gluttony and lust? Well, I think that was front and center at Belshazzar's party. In Belshazzar's party, there was a lot of gluttony, a lot of lust. But how does gluttony and lust relate to work? Well, most people think of eating too much when they hear gluttony, right? Gluttony is a sin of eating too much food. You can't stop. Or they think of sexual, sexual sins when they hear lust. So that's what normally people think. But gluttony and lust, they go deeper than that. But gluttony and lust are really sins of unregulated desire. Okay, that's what they are. They are sins of unregulated desire. And when we go to work, unregulated desire plays a huge role in the way we do work, the way we interact at work, the way we treat work. So for example, gluttony shows up in our work as unregulated desire. You know, I mentioned this book before, the book Virtue and Vice at Work, but the author said something very interesting. But he said, it's interesting how people use all kinds of food words to describe work. Isn't that true? When people talk about work, they use a lot of food words. For example, I bit off more than I can chew with this project. You know, sales is feast or famine. She's trying to have her cake and eat it too. You know, moms who try to work, you know, and climb the corporate ladder but also have a family. She's trying to have her cake and eat it too. I know I can get that promotion. I just have to stay hungry. You've heard all, you've heard all these things before, right? It's very interesting. Why, why all this food talk? Why do people use food language when they talk about work? People also use food language to talk about money. They call money bread, dough, cabbage, salad, cheddar. I've never heard someone call money salad. It's kind of weird. Salad, cheddar. I've heard cheddar, okay? I'm not that old. Cheddar, right? Let's get some cheddar. But these are food words describing money and work. It's very bizarre. Even the purpose of work, I need to go to work and bring home what? The bacon. All right, I'll bring home the bacon. Okay, I need to go work, why? So I could put food on the table. I mean, it's very common expressions. All food language. Well, why is that? Well, I think the author very insightfully said it's because he believes there's something about work that stirs up appetites within us. There are certain appetites that get stirred up when you go to work. In other words, it stirs up certain desires, desires to work. Now, a lot of these desires are normal and healthy. Usually, you know, you should have desire to work. But when these desires become unregulated, they can turn our work into an idol. It becomes something that we trust in more than God. It's something we look to more than God to satisfy us. See, the reason why we eat food is because we have desires. Our body needs it. And when we eat food, we get satisfied. Well, it's the same thing at work. We have desires for things at work. We have an appetite for things. And as we work, we're getting certain things to consume them and feel full, to feel satisfied. And it's different for everybody. For some people, is you just have this need to have financial security. And because you have this deep need, you go to work, and as you work, you get financial 
resources, right? You get paid, and then you consume that and you feel more satisfied. Others, you know, for whatever reason, you have all this work to do, you have to get through all these emails on Monday night, but they're not urgent, right? You don't really have to do it on Monday night, but then, for whatever reason, you stay an extra two hours at work and you go through all your emails. Why? They're not urgent. You don't have to do it. Well, you're consuming your emails. Why? To just satisfy some need in you, some desire in you. See, you're consuming things to feel satisfied, like food. You're on vacation, but you can never put your phone down, right? You can never truly put work down. See, you've all been there. Why, why is it that you go on workations? I mean, what is that? It's a made-up word. It's not real. But why do people go on workations? Well, like that pastry that's always in your hand, where you're always nibbling on it, Okay, we're always nibbling on work. Why? Because there's something about it, right? If I just have my phone on, if I always check my email during work, then you just feel satisfied. You're always nibbling on things to feel satisfied, like that little pastry in your hand. And so then what is all that? This is an unregulated desire that you're trying to fulfill through your work in order to feel satisfied, to feel full. And so work now has become a God to you. It is meeting a need in your life rather than looking to the one true God. It is a false God. And God says that's going to produce all kinds of sin in your life, and that is a lack of character. That is a lack of character. That is why people get whipped around at work and they become slaves to work. You know, a Swiss philosopher in the early 1800s, he said the man who has no inner life is a slave to his surroundings. That's so true. A man who has no inner life, who does not have character, the weight of character of just trusting God and knowing God becomes a slave to your surroundings. So that's one example. Lust is, an, is another one, unregulated desire. Now, of course, lust can show up at work as sexual sin, right? Maybe you can harass somebody, get into relationships you shouldn't. But there are many forms of lust. Okay, it's not just the sexual kind, but there's lust for power, lust for prestige, lust for money. Another word for that is greed. But this is another kind of unregulated desire at work. And here's the real problem with lust. Lust is an unregulated desire to control and use others in order to get what we want, in order to satisfy ourselves. Isn't that what lust is? Every time you have lust, it's never about somebody else, but it's always about me, and I'm going to use somebody else to satisfy my needs. Okay, that's what lust is. So lust for promotion or money, it's not just about promotions and money. But when somebody is lusting after those things, inevitably, it will always end up looking at people as a means. Oh, these people, I'm going to use them to help me satisfy this desire. They're going to help me to get what I want. And again, that comes from taking something that is not God, like money or promotions or security, and trusting in it like it is God. So do you see this? This is what God says you lack character. Okay, you're, you're empty. Okay, you're, you're like a bucket with just a few leaves in there and you're banging around in the wind. Okay, there is no weight of you. There is no weight in you. And the reason why is because you do not acknowledge me even though I've given you everything you have. I bless you with the very job you have and yet you've taken the very blessings that I've given you and you've turned it to worship other gods. Okay, this is Belshazzar. And so whether it's gluttony or lust, whether it's cheating to get ahead, gossiping at work, constantly telling lies to protect yourself, wasting your time and then getting paid for it, 
Okay, what's better than that? <laughs> right? Wasting time on your boss's dollar. But all of that comes from something you're looking to other than God to satisfy yourself and is taking the blessings of God, such as work, and turning it into a false God. This is what it looks like to lack character. So yeah, is lacking character like certain sins like lying and cheating? Sure. But there's something much deeper than that and Daniel went straight to the core. He didn't talk about Belshazzar's little sins here and there. He could have. Belshazzar was a wicked king. He had conspired against his father, a previous king. He committed murders. He was sexually immoral. I mean, he could have mentioned a lot of things, but Daniel went right to the core. You do not acknowledge the true God. And you've taken the blessings of God and you use it to worship other gods. You lack character. You lack character. And so this is what God means when he says, you're a lightweight. You don't measure up. And this kind of lack of character always brings God's judgment. It will always bring God's judgment. And so we come to our last point, the outcome of character. So Daniel 5, 30 through 31. So do you guys understand? It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside, no matter how respectable, how wealthy, right? How, how nice you look. God looks right through. This is what he's looking at. And so for a person who lacks out, uh, character, here's the outcome. Daniel 5, 30 to 31. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean, king was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. So here, this is exactly what historians know happened. This is all true, historical. But ancient historians like Herodotus and Xenophon, they confirm that this is what happened on the night when Babylon fell. But basically, they said that because the walls were too tall, okay, Babylon was too hard to penetrate. They couldn't go in. So the Medes and the Persians had this amazing idea. They said, let's stop the river, Euphrates River. It flowed under the wall into the city. Let's dam it up, you know, way up here. Let's dam it up. So then the, the water stopped flowing. They diverted it, right? So the water stopped flowing. And then over time, what happened? That area where the river went under the wall, it dried up. It became kind of like a swamp. And then the soldiers climbed under the wall. And they got into the city, and historians say not a single spear was thrown to capture the city. They immediately just captured the city. Why? Because everybody was just drunken. They were partying. They didn't even think the enemy could come in. And they just took it over. They walked into the palace, immediately grabbed Belshazzar, and put him to death. He died that very night. And so that was the outcome of a character that was weighed in the balance and found lacking. The outcome was sudden destruction. Now, character is not built overnight, right? Character is built little by little over time. Okay, one conviction at a time, one decision at a time. Character takes time to build. Even Jesus said, Matthew 25, 23, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. So there's a process. If you want to build character, it takes time. Philip Brooks, I mentioned him last week. He was a famous minister in the 1800s, but he said character is made in the small moments of our lives. It's the little things. The big events, the big trials is not when your character is made. That's when it's revealed. But it's just the everyday little things. That's when character is made. So character doesn't happen overnight. It's built little by little over time, but it's not also torn down overnight. Character takes time for it to be torn down. It deteriorates over time. 
But, and please hear this, but when God's judgment comes, it comes suddenly. So character is built up little by little over time, and it's also torn down little by little over time. Okay, all the wrong decisions, the, the sinful choices, the wrong convictions. But finally a day comes when God says, nope, it's done now. And then judgment comes, it comes suddenly. It comes suddenly. You know, last week I mentioned Ravi Zacharias, who was a famous Bible teacher, apologist, defender of the faith. And when he finally died and all this stuff came out about his secret life, he had all these affairs and he sexually harassed women during his ministry. But when all that came out, do you know it took literally, I think, a month before his entire ministry, that was international, it just collapsed. Maybe a few months. But it suddenly just came crashing down. I've seen that, even in my own life, personally. I knew a a, a mentor or, or kind of an older pastor friend of mine who was pastoring a church but I didn't know this, but he was actually having an affair, a, a very long affair with one of his you know, staff members at church. And I remember the day he told me at Starbucks, he's like, Roy, I have something to tell you. I needed to step down from church. Why? Because I had this sin. And I just could not believe how quickly things went for him. Within a week, he was confronted by the church. He was removed from position. His ordination got stripped away. His license got stripped away. He couldn't be a pastor anymore. I mean, it all happened so fast. Even his marriage was in deep trouble. And so character is built up little by little over time. It deteriorates little by little over time, but when judgment comes, it comes quickly. It comes suddenly. And so Belshazzar did not expect that. But it came immediately that night. And here's the judgment of God upon a character that is lacking. It is death. And I can't minimize that. I I don't know how to sugarcoat that. I don't want to sugarcoat that. This is what the Bible says. But if you are weighed in the balance and your character is lacking because you don't acknowledge the true living God and you're using his blessings to worship other things, then judgment will come and that judgment is death. Ezekiel 18.20, the soul who sins shall die. And the Bible says this is all of us. All of us deserve death. Why? Because all of us have sinned. All of us lack character. So then what do we do? And we're coming to a close. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Again, that's the outcome. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the answer is Jesus. You guys already know that. See, Jesus is not just a answer. He is the only answer to how our character can be lacking and us not die. So my character never measures up. If I'm put in the balance, I will always be lacking. How am I gonna live? How will I not die? And the only answer is Jesus. He is the only one who is put in the balance, weighed in the balance, and not lacking. Jesus was not found to be lacking. And then he was punished in our place as if he was lacking, as if he was one of us. But then how can Jesus' death atone for my sin and everyone's sin here? All of us. Well, I love what this one pastor said, but he shared this story one time. A man came to him and said, you know what? How can Jesus' death save me and atone for my sins and everybody else in the whole world? How is that possible? And this is what the pastor said. It's because Jesus is worth more than you and me and everyone in this world. And I, and I love this example, but he used the example of a balance, just like in Daniel 5. But he said, if, when God put Jesus on this side of the balance, 
And then he put everyone else on this other side of the balance, all the kings, all the clowns, all the moms and dads and workers and children and everyone in this world. You put everyone else on this side of the balance, Jesus is still more. He's still more. He is worth more. He is of more value. His character has more weight than everyone. And that's why this single person dying can atone for the whole world. And so brothers and sisters, this is what you need to look to because our character is lacking, my character is lacking. Okay, you need to look to the one who is weighed in the balance and he is more. Amen, he is more. He is more. Okay, you have no hope without him. Do you know that in heaven, only perfect people can go to heaven? Okay, that makes sense. If there is a heaven, why would there be anybody other than perfect people there? And a lot of people think, oh, you know, I'm good enough. I can go to heaven. Well, have you ever told a lie? Do you think liars belong in heaven? No, probably not. Have you ever had a lustful thought? Do you think lusting people belong in heaven? No, probably not. Okay, have you ever, you know, thought hatred in your heart towards somebody? Do you think haters are in heaven? No, probably not. Well, then how are you going to go to heaven? How can you possibly be put in the balance and then weigh enough? You can't. You must look to Jesus. You must. And then, after you've come to Jesus, you must continuously, every day, come to Jesus. And I'm going to close with this. But it's not through getting more committed and I'm not saying don't be committed. You need to be committed. But the primary way you're going to grow in your character as you come to Jesus first as Savior and Lord and then every single day, the way you're going to grow in your character is not to get more committed but to be more submitted. You must be more submitted. I like what this one author on a leadership book said, Henry Blackaby, but he says some leaders try to get more committed, but what they need is to be more submitted. And it's so true. And he was talking mainly about the leader's integrity. That's how you're going to grow in character. Is are you submitted to Jesus? See, being submitted to him means that you're going to come and acknowledge who he is. Unlike Belshazzar, you're going to acknowledge you are God. And you're going to let him now begin to change you and work on you. It's not you getting more committed. Oh, I'm going to do this. Why? Because I'm a person of character. No, you're not. You can't get more committed, but be more submitted. Amen? And as you do that, then your character begins to get changed. You will cultivate character. And then, we're going to look at this next week, and then finally, maybe, maybe, you're going to be like a Daniel in these unprecedented times. And we do live in unprecedented times, but you can be like a Daniel who can come to anybody and speak the truth of God. Amen? And we're going to look at that next week. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Father. We love you. We thank you so much, Father, that you are so good to us. And Lord God, yes, you do shake us. Yes, you do speak words that are sometimes harsh, sometimes hard to hear, Father. But Lord Jesus, but we trust you. We look to you. Yes, Lord, we are lacking in character, all of us, every single one of us. And yes, Lord God, the outcome of our lives will be death physical death, eternal death. But Lord, you have been weighed in the balance in our place and you are more than enough. You are more than enough. And so Lord God, I pray and ask, oh God, that you can please help us to understand these things and to come to you, that we can, Father, be people of character. And Lord God, this isn't just for ourselves, but it's so that we can then finally become like Daniel. 
that we would be modern-day Daniels and begin to speak your truth into our culture and into the people all around us during these unprecedented times. We are living in a world that is rapidly changing, not for the better. And we need people to rise up. We need Daniels. And so, Lord God, please make us into people of character. So, Lord God, we thank you so much, Lord. We give you all the glory. Be with us now as we move into a time of communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's come before the Lord. Uh, Today is Communion Sunday, so we're gonna take communion. But the Bible says before you take communion, which is really an act of faith, when you take communion, you're saying, Jesus, I believe. I believe in your broken body for me, your shed blood for me. But as we take communion, before we do, let's pray and confess our sins. Let's confess our sins before God.